right, let me get it right, let me give it a minute to get up in it like a beautiful independent woman that's gonna make you wait to smash, come now let me count this cash, come now let me sip this flask, pockets fat like shawty ass, jump in the whip, gotta get this gas, put that shit in drive, I'm live like ammunition, no permission needed, I proceeded to accelerate, had days with hella hate, but gotta let that anger migrate, all this shit that's on my plate, that food for thought that can't be bought, but only taught and on the real no, I can't get much dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, Conan Tanner. For this seminal episode, episode 20, I'm super excited that we have my good friend, Mona Morsi, on the podcast. Mona is one of the most inspiring people I know. She is super well-spoken. She has a way of illuminating ideas with her words, a very elucidating way with words. And she, we talk a little bit about martial arts because she is my jujitsu coach, as well as my friend, to which I am eternally grateful. Um, and then she graces us with um, her story Uh, about coming out as gay in a socially conservative household with a fundamentalist Christian mother and a fundamentalist Islamic father. 
So it's one of the wildest, craziest, most amazing stories ever. And it's like, will make you laugh and make you cry. And, you know, this podcast is about the universality of the human experience. It's an exploration of what it is to be human. And one of the most fundamental characteristics, qualities of, of humanity is our resiliency. We're, we're so incredibly resilient, what we can withstand and come back from. And Mona is like a shining example of somebody who withstood a storm that I think would wither many, like a lot of uh, lesser, just other individuals. Um, she somehow managed to make it through and didn't just survive, but used her challenges as like strengths and strengths in her life and actually flourished and is thriving um, despite and because of her childhood experiences and challenges. So without further ado, uh, let's get this podcast started with Mona Morsi on Barbarian Noetics. podcast yeah man i'm happy to be here thank you for having me yeah you even let me come into your home which i appreciate heck yeah you're more than welcome all your, the time your dope crib in the hills <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna change because you know i'm moving soon it might yeah. be a dope crib in arcadia <laughs> definitely not in the hills <laughs> um yeah so i wanted to start off just by last week so Mona, for those of you who don't know, is uh, in addition to being my friend and an all-around awesome person, is also my jiu-jitsu coach. Um, so she's being so kind as to give me one-on-one jiu-jitsu lessons, which is amazing because something that I've been wanting for a really long time and it's like the biggest kind of hole in my, in my game, so to speak, is my ground game, like my wrestling and my grappling. Um, and so you're helping me like fill in the blanks on that and I'm so appreciative of that. Well, I'm glad I can help, man. I'm definitely a novice myself and I learn every single day and I'm not a certified instructor by any means, um, but you know, anything that I can teach you, you know, it's like, I'm just happy that we can roll and hang out. And Dude, Mona says that she's a novice and then little, does, little <laughs> do you all know that she was a cage fighter, semi-pro <laughs> cage fighter. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess that... <laughs> Alright, dude. Yeah, I guess that's no. Well, I guess that's like. I, I mean, listen. Like, you could put a monkey in a cage and have them fight, and you know, it's like. But. Dude, a chimpanzee would be like a mean opponent. Oh my god, I would be scared. Fight. I'd be like, "You win. Here's the belt. <laughs> 
you win. <laughs> Mostly because I don't want you to scratch me and give me whatever the fuck you might have. Like, I don't want you to rip my arm off yeah. and hit me with it. Oh, my gosh. Chimps are mean. Dude, they are mean. I heard about that lady who, like, I think, like, one of her friends had a pet monkey. And I forgot what kind of monkey it was, but she went to her house and was, like, trying to, like, go up and, like, say hi to it. And it just, like, messed up her face. Oh, just totally fucked up. And I just, like, I feel bad for that. Like, that's just terrible. But, yeah, yeah I definitely give that monkey the belt. I maybe would go into a cage with a bonobo because they, seem, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. seem like a little more chill. You just make love all day. That's literally all they do. They're like, hey, let's just hump this out. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we have so much to learn from the bonobos. True story. They actually do use sex as a conflict resolution yeah. technique. It's like been demonstrated. As we all should do. Right? It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like perfect. <laughs> Um, so when you were doing semi-pro fighting, it was in Muay Thai, is that correct? Yeah, Muay Thai so, mostly, because like I didn't just, so before I started um, this whole jiu-jitsu journey, which, you know, honestly, like, I love jiu-jitsu, but I guess where it is in my life right now doesn't allow me to kind of uh, dedicate so much time to it, which is unfortunate, but... When I was younger, you know, I was able to train in Muay Thai like five days a week, and then I jumped into Krav Maga, and I did that for a little while. And um, Muay Thai was kind of where I took the whole cage fighting thing. And I did just a few like smoker fights, you know, nothing, nothing too big, nothing too fancy. Like I appreciate you making me sound super dope, <laughs> but um, it's really nothing, uh, nothing to write home about. But um, but you said you won a couple matches and you got paid a couple times. Yeah, yeah, I did, and uh, and that was all, you know, that was all fun and dandy. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, of course had like street fights, you know, which is where you really learn how to deal with it, because that's the whole reason that we learn to defend ourselves is so that we can protect ourselves. Against against the predator in the street, you know, not someone who's in some ring with a whole bunch of rules that they have to abide by, you know, because, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, so you kind of, I've learned a lot from all my instructors and. So why do you have, what, what was the context of the street fights that you were in? Oh, just people being bullies. And, really? Oh yeah. I mean, like, it's unfortunate, but you got a lot of assholes out there, you know, just people who just you know, project their insecurities and others, and, you know, you just kind of have to deal with that, and there were, there were some that I didn't win at all, you know, and that, that was kind of like my motivation to become a better fighter, and, and, you know, like, even right now, like, I would say I'm a decent fighter, but I just know, like, I can at least hold my own, you know, and that's, and that's the whole, that's the answer, really, like, if you ask a question, are you a good fighter? Well, I don't know, like, I can hold my own, though, and I know that I'm not scared to be in that kind of altercation, and that's, you know, you just got to go home safe, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, and you strike me as someone, too, that is kind of, like, more of a stand-up person. Like, you're not someone that's just going to kind of, like, let let something go if someone's being disrespectful. Yeah, and, you know, just given my background and my life, you kind of have to be that. Like, I've, I've, I've grown very calloused over the years. Um, I've just been put through so much by the people that I thought loved me and who were supposed to be there for me. And so when you kind of see that side of life, you just say, you know, you kind of, like, you just sort of become, like, you kind of have to harden up a little bit, you know? So it's not like, you know, I try to be this, like, asshole, but sometimes, you, I mean, you can't be nice all the time, you know? You just kind of have to call people out or else they're going to walk all over you, you know? And, it's true. Yeah, yeah. If, you don't, uh, if you don't stand up for yourself, you become a doormat for the world. That's, yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> so, And then the whole balance is, like, figuring out kind of, like, when to, like, like what, like, what, fights to pick so to speak like mm -hmm. what or how to pick your battles I mm -hmm. guess is, that's like a tricky thing for sure mm -hmm. yeah man but. exactly I mean like you 
you know, if like nowadays, you know, of course, cause like I'm an adult, you know, so I, like if someone says something, like I remember one time, like I had somebody recent, like in the last year, like say something about the fact that I'm gay, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, all right, dude, like whatever. Like you just kind of brush those things off. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I fought every single person that had something bad to say about me, I'd be fighting as we speak. You know what I mean? Cause there's just, there's haters out there. There's all these people out there who just have nothing but negative things to say. Yeah. And, it's like, okay, you know, so. And that's like an instance where you'll bring yourself down. If, you, oh, yeah. if you're always going to that level all the time, you're actually going to bring your whole energy down and yeah. bring your vibe down. Yeah, you know, all you can do is just try to be the best person that you can be, live your best life, smile often, not even knowing why. You just <laughs> just like walk around just smiling at people, you know, yeah. it's like, what's up with that chick? Oh, she's just happy, apparently. <laughs> like, that's just kind of what you do, you know. And sometimes, yeah. like, I had, a, I had a, a person that I trained with, you know, like, we were kind of talking about how the fact that I, I'm always juggling, you know, like I feel like I'm just always like you know, taking a whole bunch on at once and that's just my life right now. So I have to accept it for what it is. You know, there's no, like, I'm not a complainer. Like I don't want to complain about my schedule is this and my life is that and my, you know, like I don't like doing that. I just mm-hmm. deal with it for what it is, you know, but she was like, sometimes you just got to smile at people because you need to like, cause you're kind of tricking yourself and saying like, okay, well I'm happy. Like, check me out. I'm smiling, you know, but like you're really inside kind of dealing with some stuff, but that helps you, you know, it kind of gives you like that better perspective of the world. And yeah, I mean, that's just it, man. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's a woman and she was saying that like, she wishes that she could smile more in public and dance in public and stuff, but she was saying that sometimes it brings, like, negative sexual attention that she doesn't want. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, like, uh, you know, probably knowing how to fight probably kind of helps to alleviate that concern a little bit because Mm -hmm. you you know that you're not to be fucked with, you know what I mean? So Yeah, you know, like, when you learn how to defend yourself, you sort of take on this little bit of confidence that you may have not had before. Um, and I think that's why a lot of females learn how to fight. And that's why you see a lot of different schools and different, um, martial art, um, genres, I guess, or, you know, different fields of martial arts. They'll kind of have these like female tailored classes, you know, so you have like, not to call any of them out, but like, you know, just like these different schools that say, okay, this class is just for females, this class is just for women, this class is just for whatever, because they don't feel comfortable training with guys, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times... Mm-hmm you know, they were attacked by a guy or they were uh, molested by a guy. You have all these terrible stories and terrible things that have happened to people. And so they tailor these classes to females. I think that's great, Um, you know, because it it just gets you in there and and it allows you to have that confidence. And then eventually you can say, okay, well, I'm willing to train with a guy now, someone bigger than me, because that's who your real perpetrator is going to be. Like in the street, if you're some, you know, cute little hoochie, you're not going to get attacked by some (laughs) little cute hoochie, you know, like you're probably going to be, dude, you might, like you totally might. like, hey, I wore it better, you know, like just slapping each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, in those kind of fixed environments, but like, you know, you might, I would say maybe 90% of the time, you might be attacked by, you know, like a man or like, you know, someone bigger or whatever the case is. And so, you know, it's good, it's good for you to just kind of walk in, find your comfort zone, and then eventually you can graduate to these different classes and different environments so that you can gain the confidence because that's what happens. That's why we find so many people that are in these positions that they don't want to be in. They're not living their best life because they don't have the confidence to say, no, mm-hmm. I actually don't like that. Or no, I don't want to be in an abusive relationship or not even abusive, but like it could just be a relationship where like that other person you just doesn't deserve you. But like right. you just don't have that confidence to say no and walk away. And so, yep. you know, I would say um, training in, in any kind of martial art has allowed me to have that confidence, um, you know, just, just to because of, like I said, you know, like kind of going through all the things that I went through when I was younger. It's allowed me to be like, OK, well, I understand my worth. And so let's just 
get rid of you because <laughs> you're clearly a problem you know the problem here exactly <laughs> yeah so um i'm interested to hear your perspective on you've trained uh muay thai mm -hmm. and krav maga mm -hmm. and now uh brazilian jiu-jitsu um what what are like the main kind of like differentials between those three martial arts would you say and and do you feel like one is like quote-unquote better than than any others in terms of um i guess in the, in the context of this conversation for specifically self-defense? Mm -hmm. So Muay Thai is a really good um, stand-up game, you know, because like you kind of like combine some boxing and then you, they call it the art of eight limbs because you, you really fine-tune the elbow strike and the knees. And a lot of different, like in you know, a boxing, you can't elbow and you can't knee and you mm -hmm. can't kick or any of that kind of stuff. And so it's really good to have a foundation of boxing, how to punch, how to block, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so Muay Thai, you get that, where you're able to really strike and find, find your strength at your core and really focus on um, all, all things included. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you get into jujitsu you know, jujitsu is all about the ground. So what happens when a fight goes to the ground? Well, it's probably always going to go to the ground. So it's really imperative that you have a good ground game or you at least feel comfortable on the ground. And what that means is, you know, if somebody pushes you to the ground and you're on your back and then they're mounting you or like where they're kind of like sitting on top of you or, or they're in between your legs and like all these different uncomfortable places, you have to be able to keep calm and you have to be able to protect yourself in that place because you might not be able to just get up, right? Because what if somebody is bigger or somebody and you just don't know how to do that? So jujitsu kind of teaches you that. Well, it does teach you that. Um, and then if you kind of combine the two, that's where you find Krav Maga. Oh, okay. So Krav Maga was developed by a man named Emi Lichtenfeld. And he um, created this form of self-defense or what he calls hand-to-hand um, -hand combat. Mm -hmm. And it was developed for the Israeli military so that you can just take your opponent down as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, like, I'm sure somebody in the jiu-jitsu world is going to talk shit about Muay Thai. Somebody in the jiu-jitsu world is going to talk shit about Krav Maga. Somebody in the Krav Maga world is going to talk shit. It's like, you know, for me, I don't come at it from liking one. I respect all types of martial art because I just like the fact that anybody's willing to teach it and willing to learn it. I think that that's phenomenal. So mm -hmm. if you're um, a Muay Thai person, you don't care about jujitsu. Okay, cool. Do your thing. Just become good and sufficient in it so that you can defend yourself. Like that's the whole point. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think the problem is a lot of people get into um, this whole battle of like what's cooler and what's in right now. And like, you know, mm -hmm. how many t-shirts can I get that say whatever on it? And it's like, you know, I don't play those games. I wear Harry Potter t-shirts all day, every day, <laughs> which makes you fucking awesome. Like, so like, so Naomi, my <laughs> wife was like, talk, she was like, cause I got a, a package and she was like, is this another Harry Potter t-shirt? And I was like, no, of course not. It was three. Okay. So I'm like, it's actually three Harry Potter t-shirts. Cause like that, like that's all I rep. So anybody who sees me or like meets me in person, like they know, like Mona's just about Harry Potter t-shirts like that's all I read so but you see like a lot of people you know who like have these like American fighter shirts and like these jujitsu shirts and that's not bad at all like it's not a bad thing it's just for me you know I don't care so much about what's cool or what's in I care about what takes you home safely and so if if Muay Thai works better for you then do that if jujitsu works better for you then do that or if you want a little bit of everything like me like I wouldn't say that I'm phenomenal at any one of these arts but I know enough of them to get me home safely and to protect the people that are around me should we be in an altercation with somebody yeah. you know and that and that's my whole thing you know because the same thing with firearms training it's like I 
when I when I started diving into Krav Maga, a lot of what they train is how to disarm an opponent. Yeah, I was gonna say that's definitely one of the strengths of Krav Maga. One, um, yeah, of course, and yeah. and and for a good reason. Like it was developed for the Israeli military, and so they're dealing with people who are coming at them with you know firearms and all these different things. It's not just somebody who's like, let's fight. You know, mm-hmm. they're like they're like, here's a, a gun to your face, and then mm-hmm. what do you do? And you know, people would argue, well, that's not possible. Like you can't disarm somebody. I mean, like listen. I'm not sitting here trying to John Wick this shit, okay? Like, I'm just trying to get home at the end of the day. So, like, nobody can come at me and say, well, this is better and that's not going to work and this and that. It's like, I'm not in it for any of that. Like, I'm not in it to look cool. I'm in it so that I don't get shot or die young. Like, that's just, like, I'm trying to live as long as I can, I guess. Yeah. And even though the world is sort of, like, caving in on itself, I'll ride this ride with you guys. Yeah. You know, but, like... Dude, in the case of zombie apocalypse, you're totally oh, dude, I'm there. in my bunker. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm there. 100%. Yeah, I'm there. I'm going to share my canned goods with you. 100%. I can goods. Hey, I'm cool with beans. I get gassy, man, but like it's we'll we'll get comfortable. I mean, if society collapses, the guy, I don't think we're going to be too. It really doesn't matter. Although, I mean, if it's like a nuclear bunker situation and there's no airflow, like you're going to have to like handle that. Like you can't I'll just, handle like, it. it. I'll just keep it in and then burp eventually. <laughs> Cuz like I'm assuming that's what happens. Like you keep them in so much and you got to burp. You're gonna it's have like to open the portal and stick <laughs> yeah. it out. Yeah. Um but you know like when I got into Krav Maga and I started training, I realized that like they dealt a lot with like firearms and knives and blunt objects and things like that. And so I was like, well, if one day I'm ever going to have the opportunity to, <laughs> and I say opportunity, but like I don't mean it like I'm hoping that it happens, but right. let's just say I'm at an ATM and some stupid dillweed tries to put a gun to my back, okay? <laughs> let's just say that I have like, I'm on my top game that day and I disarm this person, okay? Or like knock the gun out of their hands. What do I do then? And then when you, when you can't answer that and when you can't say, well, I don't really know what to do with firearms or I'm scared of firearms or all this kind of stuff, then you kind of have to like find your comfort zone into diving with those, into getting comfortable with firearms mm-hmm. or not. And that's cool. Like I'm not telling people to go and start you know, buying guns and shooting and stuff, but I think that you should be a responsible gun owner. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to deal with that, you need to figure out what to do. So if now you know, you've disarmed somebody and the firearm is on the floor or, cause I mean like, you know, in training you see these videos where it happens. Like, mm-hmm. so you, like it, it does happen. And then in training, of course, like if somebody's like really holding a firearm and we're doing like these different scenarios, again, it happens. Like either you disarm them or it falls to the floor, whatever the case is, yeah. you got to know what to do. And so when I was kind of stuck with that, I was like, well, you know, let me let me try to get comfortable with firearms. And so I did, you know, so I went to the range and I shot and I went and did some classes and I trained with a couple different outfits here in, in Arizona. Um, I don't want to, sh- I mean, I don't really want to say who they are because I don't like them that much anymore. <laughs> so I don't really have a whole lot of good stuff to say. If you want to throw people under the bus. No, dude, it's all good. But like, you know, but, I, but they did teach me some things, you know, but yeah. it's just like, you know, a matter of getting comfortable and concealing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I think if you're ever going to do that, um, if you're ever going to dive into Krav Maga and you're going to find that they, they teach you how to disarm people and deal with weapons, you have to become comfortable with them and you have to be a responsible gun order, mm-hmm. owner. So like if that means getting your CCW wherever you're at, um, if that means going to the range often, like, get, just get comfortable with it. You know, that's all I have to say about Krav. But, but yeah, I mean, like, as far as which one's better, it really just, it really just depends on, on who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, if, if, you, 
if, if finding, if you live closer to a Muay Thai gym and that means you're going to get in there more than driving 30 minutes to go to jujitsu, then, then go to Muay Thai. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. whatever works for you. Cause there's so many people and I run into this in the jujitsu world. So many people are focused on who's in there more than the other person or, you know, like getting your attendance is a huge thing. And listen, some people just can't get in there every day. Yeah, of course. Some people can't get in there multiple times a day. And, yeah. but, like, but you see it. Like I see that there's people at, at the school that I go to that are there multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. Like I wish that my life provided that for me right now, and it doesn't right now. But mm-hmm. I'm the person, again, that I'm just going to take what was given to me and I'm just going to run with it. And right now my schedule does not allow me to go in there more than twice a week. Yeah. Okay, and that works for me. And so if that means that I'm not going to be like this super cool purple belt in the next couple, you know, years, then that's what that means for me. You know what I mean? Like, because at the end of the day, I'm in it so that I can defend myself and defend whoever I'm with. Mm-hmm. And if that means I don't get some cool T-shirt or like, you know, a brand new gi or whatever, then that's what that means. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, so. I think uh, kind of a little bit what you're describing is um, how and I've been thinking about this lately, how the ego is really clever and, and I'm also not one of these people that demonizes the ego because I think we all need a healthy ego because otherwise it's really hard to function in the world. You need to have some sort of self-confidence and you need to have self-preservation, which is kind of an ego thing. Yeah. But what the ego does is anything you're into, it hijacks, it wants to hijack that thing yeah. and make it about like being better than. And mm. I see it a lot like with um, quote-unquote spirituality or whatever where people like, um, you know, they, they have a couple ayahuasca ceremonies and they have some realizations and all of a sudden they are master shaman. And <laughs> yeah. they, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's like, dude, you didn't grow up in, in the jungle. Like this isn't actually your like indigenous, sure. like, you know, uh, uh, lifestyle or whatever. Like maybe have a little bit of respect, but it's that, it's that thing of like um, the ego wanting to elevate, use, use whatever you're into to elevate yourself over others. Mm-hmm. So in martial arts, you, you, people are just as susceptible to that. And um, I think because it is, it is an, uh, an art form that has like very real and dire physical consequences for if, if you're on the winning or the losing end of like a, some kind of a fight, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's, it's way easier even to get into that tribal mentality. And I've in just the limited amount of martial arts I've practiced in, I've definitely seen that for sure. Everyone thinks that they're their discipline is like the way better. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. You know, and, and it is unfortunate because sometimes like, for example, you know, like, like I was just in class yesterday and, um, I was rolling with another, um, individual and she was like, you know, nothing I do is working because, you know, you're just strong or whatever. And I was like, well, you're strong too, though. You know, like so, like don't put it in your mind. Because, like, let me tell you something. You're gonna deal with somebody who's strong. Yeah. Usually, that's what happens, right? Because, right. like, what, like what you said, like you have this ego, and so you're born a certain kind of way at a certain stature or a certain whatever, and you're gonna take advantage of that. And so I was like, well, I don't think that it's just because I'm strong. I think like maybe you know this or whatever isn't working, so go go to something else. But it was almost like she was giving up, mm-hmm. you know. So like maybe she needed a little bit of that ego boost that 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 you know somebody else doesn't have. And I noticed like. There's, and I, I'm glad I didn't say where I train because I feel like I'm going to talk about this, but you know, like there, there are some people who take advantage of something they don't have control over. And an example of that is like, you ever, you ever like meet somebody who is just like that perfect height, you know, like six, four or something like that. And just like built awesome and has like, like these beautiful, like 
like features you know like you had nothing to do with that though dude like yeah. nothing <laughs> to do with that like yeah. you weren't like a baby and was like hey make sure that i'm six four and they were like all right dude gotcha you know what i mean like it didn't sure. it didn't work like that so like i i have learned over time that i respect people for who they are and what they have created within themselves like something that you can control mm-hmm. how have you fine-tuned that and then show it to the rest of the world and if it's something that i can jive with I'm going to jive with it, you know, but some people like take advantage, like when we're training of like, like they're, they tower over some others and like, you can just tell it's like, well, if you're putting all your strength into making sure that someone doesn't get that Kimura or something, then like, okay, maybe, maybe they're not going to, but like you didn't win, dude. Like, you, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. because like, cause what you're doing is almost like not allowing them to train. Like you're not being a good bad guy, if you will. Cause we're in a closed environment. Yeah. Like we're not really fighting in the streets. So you don't have to prove yourself to anybody here. Like this yeah. is a training environment. Everybody should feel comfortable. You don't have to prove your strength and, and all this stuff. Like, like I get it. You know what? I'm sure you're great. And like, you know, like, yes, you have height and all this kind of stuff and you have strength and all this kind of stuff, but it's like, Use all of that energy outside. Hmm. You know, like if someone gets paired with you, you know, and you're like half their strength or half their whatever, like just work with them because they need to get comfortable working around a body like yours. Yeah. Because that's the person that's probably going to attack them or whatever. So like if they're like, ah, shit. Now what happens when I leave class? That means I'm never going to be able to protect myself against someone bigger than me. That's yeah. what they're thinking, man yeah. or woman. It's uh, it's like the difference between selfishness and selflessness. Yeah. And I definitely that really strikes a chord with me because when I was training Krav, like I had there was one partner that I friggin' loved, and mm-hmm. every time we formed like this bond because we because he was advanced, like he was he had been training for years. But he really cared about like bringing up others, and yeah. he loved the fact that I was a beginner, and he loved to like work with me because he could like impart at my level where I was at. He could impart, you know, his own kind of experience to me, mm-hmm. and I found that like I really appreciated that, and I also really recognized the selflessness of that because he wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, improving at his the edge of his capacity when mm-hmm. he's kind of helping me, you know, develop my kicks or whatever like that. But then there were other partners I would have that I would dread because, yeah, they'd be like twice my size. And it's like they had something to prove. This one guy actually uh, managed to bruise my rib even through the pad, you know. And it's just like, dude, like, come on. Like, it it definitely doesn't, it's discouraging for sure. Yeah, you know, it's an unfortunate thing that you find in the fighting world, the martial art world, no matter where you are. Because, you know, what happens is like, you know, obviously there's like a lot, I think there's, the ratio is changing, but there's more men that train in in like martial arts than there are women. And like I said, like that, that is changing over time. But, you know, a lot of times these guys kind of come in and they already sort of have that mentality. Not all of them, of course, but some of them kind of have that like bully mentality. Mm -hmm. And so they're not really in it to, to like train you or help you. They're kind of in it to help themselves and feed whatever ego they have and if they have that confidence where they say well yeah in class like nobody can beat me mm-hmm. well it's like okay I mean like the instructor probably could I guess or else they wouldn't be instructing the class right yeah. you know but it's like you know that kind of mentality doesn't take anyone anywhere and it just sort of creates these boundaries and what do you think is because uh, like you know the ideal kind of point of martial arts is is 
it's uh, it's to avoid conflict, mm -hmm, right? Like, mm -hmm. what do you think is like the antidote to that if someone comes in? Because I've heard theories before that it's good for bullies to learn martial arts because they they kind of chill out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I've certainly seen instances where it does not work and it backfires. What do you think is like the antidote to that if someone is is not getting the fact that this is about avoiding conflict and not about just being better at, at conflict? You know, it, it's, it's hard because it's like to each his own, right? Like every person is different. And, you know, if, if a bully is getting that kind of training, then you hope that... And I think the whole purpose of a bully getting trained in martial arts, in my opinion, is to humble them. You know, so like they can kind of say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to be able to, to be in class with somebody who's more skilled than me. And maybe that is the antidote, I guess. So like all, everybody just gets trained. And then now you can see this person is like, you know, kind and willing to, um, and hopefully that person being an instructor is kind and willing to instruct you, mm -hmm. but know that they can... <clears throat> beat you and yeah, so like yeah maybe like humble them in front of humble, the class or yeah. something like that and just like have them roll with a black belt and have them feel completely powerless exactly yeah, yeah. you know and, and, it, and it it's kind of like a unique thing because you right now today in our world it's like it really just depends on the on the person it depends on the instructor because i've had an instructor that was a complete asshole believe it or not who a lot of people still kind of talk about till this day because of how much damage he's inflicted physically and mentally on, on his students. Unbelievable. You know, and so you kind of run into it where you're like, maybe he was that bully that got trained and just became a fucking savage and so good. He is so good at what he does, but his mentality didn't, didn't change. But sometimes they don't, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just have these people that are like, well, I'm going to try to better myself and then I don't. Or given the environment, you know, like there's like a whole bunch of people that they train with and their their mentalities are just as bad. And so yeah. that's why no matter what, if you can defend <clears throat> yourself, even if, it, even if it's against somebody who's a black belt in this or a black belt in that, just try, you know, just so you can bring something to the table. Otherwise... Yeah. You know, I mean, you... If someone is, like, like that instructor who's, like, uh, what was he? Was he a black belt? Yeah, dude. Uh, he if, was, like, a serious black belt. If you're a black belt and you're still an asshole, that's where the ayahuasca comes in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you dude. Gotta, you got to have a prolonged DMT experience and face your demons. Yeah. I think that might help out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know you've been talking about that for some time, dude. That's legit. Hey. <laughs> I'll try it with you one day, maybe. Right on. Hell yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> right on. Um, really quick, before we move on from martial arts, um, I was thinking that you said that, that a lot of fights go to the ground. Mm -hmm. I was thinking that like, if, if you become really proficient at Muay Thai, you might be able to finish a lot of fights before they go to the ground. Yes. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think that is true, you know, because... Um, there are, and, and I'm, I'm one of those people that every once in a while will go on YouTube and just, like, check out, like, a compilation of, like, street fights, you know, just to kind of see, like, what are people doing nowadays, yeah. you know what I mean? Just to kind of, like, so how are these street fights really working out? Um, you know, but because, because the unfortunate thing is we get lost in the Hollywood um, sort of, like, unrealistic fighting style and, like, you know, like, everything is choreographed. And even though it is very much based on, on realistic ways of fighting like it doesn't always work that way yeah and so i think if you're really good on your feet the whole purpose of you training that way is so that you don't go to the ground you know so you have these different like ways of defending yourself and and what's going to take you to the ground might be that knockout punch right and so if you can defend your whole head you know like in, in, a, in a successful way then you might not you're not going to get knocked out and go to the ground but if somebody you know then you have these people who just like do like these sort of random i'm going to pick you up and 
throw you to the ground kind of thing. And yeah. so I think that, yes, you can prevent yourself from going to the ground, but not always. So even if you're good at Muay Thai, like I was saying, you know, like if that's, if that's where you're closest to, and that's where you're going to go in, do it. Yeah. And if that's the only thing that works for you, then do it. But just, just know that if you go to the ground, you, your Muay Thai might not help you in that sense, but protecting yourself will. And we can all get into a turtle, right? We can all like, you know, kind of like protect our heads and it doesn't look cool, but you're not going to have a concussion, yep. you know, or be knocked out or have something else done to you that, you know, like while you're unconscious. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, the hope is that you just, you know, you can maybe get that good elbow in or get that good knee in or whatever kind of show, whatever it is that you have. And then they go on their way and you go on yours or, yeah. or talk to them. I mean, like I'm, I'm a talker clearly. So like, I'll, like, I, I am not that person that's like trying to show off something or like prove to you that I can do something. I'm not that at all. So like, if there's an altercation, I will have a conversation with you. And I learned a lot of that um, because of my previous position where I worked um, on a crisis unit for the seriously mentally ill in Arizona, mm -hmm. and which is the SMI population, and all these people have mental illnesses or a self-induced psychosis or they're drug addicts or things like that. And so like, I couldn't just go around punching everybody in the clinic, you know what I mean? Or like whoever's, whoever's affiliated with us. And so when I was put in these because we were a 24-7 team, so I would have to get called at 2 o'clock in the morning to go out into the street and find this person. What's up, Glorious listeners? We're going to get right back to the podcast with Mona Morsi, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode of Barbarian Noetics is brought to you by Bobo's Ketogenic CBD Shoes. Bobo's Keto CBD Shoes have soles made up entirely of CBD in solidified form. It's only the finest organic CBD that make up the uh, rubberized soles of Babo's Keto CBD shoes. The laces are ketogenic and gluten-free. A thank you to Babo's Ketogenic CBD shoes. Use them to walk in, use them to run in. All fat and no carbs, Bob's Keto Shoes. We're also brought to you today by Florida Man Bath Salts Company. Florida Man is pre pleased to announce his new brand bath salts. 
guaranteed to make you pluck your eyeballs out and throw them across a busy highway. Taking Florida Man's bath salts increases your chances of showing up on the evening news by 385,000%. Florida Man, Florida Man, Florida Man bath salts makes me crazy. Thank you, Florida Man's bath salts. And now back to the podcast. Now it's downtown clubbing, ladies night. Seen shorty, she was crazy right. And I approached baby like, mom, what's your age and type? She looked at me and said, you's a baby right. I told her, I'm 18 and live a crazy life. Plus I tell you what the 80s like. And I know what the ladies like. Need a man that's polite, listens and takes advice. I could be all three. Plus I could lay the pipe. Come with me, come stay tonight. She looked at me laughing, like boy, your game is tight. I'm laughing back like, sure you're right. Get in the car, and don't touch nothing. Sit in the car, let's discuss something. Either we love it or I'll see you tomorrow. Now we speeding up the west side, and creeping up the left side. I'm ready to do it, ready to roam, ready for dome. 55th exit, damn, damn, I'm ready to be home. Now let's get it on. Hey, them in my own personal vehicle and go and do something with them like take them to the hospital take them wherever and you know so like being in these positions like I used my words a lot you know so like they might be um elevated if you will and then like I would have to kind of like settle them back down because of course I would defend myself but I don't want it to get to that because I also know that you either have a diagnosis of of sorts you're under the influence of something or whatever the case is so like me fighting you or whatever isn't going to help the situation so you know using your words i would say is yeah you know hopefully number one but sometimes you know they don't listen (laughs) you know that um that actually segues really beautifully into the next topic i wanted to talk to you about which is um so on my last podcast uh it was a solo podcast and i talked a little bit about some of my experiences with some of the chronically homeless folks um, around where i live in south phoenix Mm -hmm. and uh i talked about a bunch of stuff but one of the things was like Um, just like uh, the cards that are stacked against folks that that people don't necessarily think about, like such as um, just getting like basic documentation, like an an ID or something like that, and how that's kind of like, uh, that can be a real obstacle to like, to really achieving anything if you you can't get the papers together to like get a simple ID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing I was, I talked about was, um, you know, there are walk-in clinics for people, but if you are, like, severely depressed or have, like, severe social anxiety, which has gotten worse because you've been on the street and people have been treating you like you're anathema, you know, like, every day for years, like, that's a tall order just to even ask someone to get to, to you know... Um, face, like, get the courage together to walk themselves into a walk-in clinic. And um, so I, so I mentioned this to you uh, during our last training session, and so you told me that you had this job mm-hmm. in the crisis, crisis response team. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on, on those uh, topics. So I, like most things, you know, I don't have this sort of, like, beautiful perspective on 
these kinds of controversial topics. And you know, the the truth of the matter is, you know, I was on the crisis team for years. It was about three and a half years by the time I quit. And you know, like I that's mentioned, a long time. that's a long time to deal with every single day the same group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, not like you know, in your in your job itself, but but in the community. And so, you know, we, we had a lot of, they call them members or they sometimes call them clients. They're, they're patients, you know, because we, on my team, there was a psychiatrist, two nurses, and then specialists, which were us. That's what we were called. Cause we specialize in something different, mm-hmm. whether it was housing or employment or whatever, because our main goal was to, um, give this kind of treatment to the community and, and whoever was affiliated with us. And so, I would say of the three and a half years that I worked there, there was only one patient that was really trying to do her best and get herself back on track. And I mean that wholeheartedly, one person. And we dealt with thousands, okay? And that one person ended up unfortunately dying. And I actually found her in her apartment, tried to revive her and all that kind of stuff and did the best that I could. But unfortunately, she was already passed by the time I got in there. But, you know, you run into these things where you're like, you know, you kind of have a, have a conversation with yourself and you can't get it attached, right? Like that's, that's the biggest deal when you work in these kind of environments because some people have this sort of like self-induced psychosis, which means maybe they were depressed, like what you were talking about. So they were depressed and there's something tragic that went on in their life, something super traumatic. And so they went and sought assistance. Maybe they were on a medication and then their depression kind of got worse. The medication didn't change and so then they started using drugs Mm -hmm. and then they kind of dive down this rabbit hole but it's like at the end of the day it is literally about your choices I mean I have family members who are currently on drugs as we speak and it is about your choices now I am gonna say we obviously run into these things where every once in a while we have like you and I like we have like our bad days or we have something shitty that's happened to us we all have these like traumatic tragic events so I'm not saying everybody who's homeless is choosing to be that no, but and and you know I have run into some people who who have tried who've tried you know the best that they can, but then there's like you know well you were supposed to go to your meetings or you were supposed to do this and then like you know when it's like when we sit down and talk about why they didn't, it's just like oh well I just didn't want to or mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing that really kind of frustrates me is when I do home visits mm-hmm. and then I see those homeless signs in their house. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, so you have an apartment that's given to you by the state. Um, you get paid every single month more than I do sometimes. Sometimes not, but sometimes you get paid more than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, you get food stamps and then you have like, just like leaning against your beautiful kitchen table, a I'm homeless sign. Yeah. You know, and so, so and, and again, listen, like it's not everybody, clearly. Okay, there are a lot of people out there who just have these unfortunate things that happen to them. But... You know, when I drive around, so I live in Central Phoenix-ish, so when I drive around and I still recognize these faces of people who are on the street and I know, like, oh, I've wow. been, actually, I've actually been to your house, dude. Like, I wow. have that, you know, and so I'm one of the unique people in the valley that can actually say, like, oh, I actually know where that guy lives. Or, and, like, and not that I go up and, like, I mean, when I was employed, there were times where I'd be like, hey, get in the car, I'm going to take you home. Because yeah. I can do that, and I'm supposed to have that, but I don't do that now because that's not my job, right. you know. And so, 
and, and you know, that, that might be a percentage of them. Obviously, I don't know every single one. And, and I do know that there are people who are just down on their luck. There are people who just don't have the right opportunities. There are people who just have these unfortunate events that have happened in their life. And I feel bad for them, for sure. Um, but I've kind of grown a little callous because the ones that I have tried to help who have these unfortunate events occurred, mm-hmm. they're just like, at the end of the day, they just don't want it. You know, they, because yeah. sometimes what it comes down to is if you're independent, you're not getting assistance. If you make a certain amount of money, you're not having access anymore. And so if that's the case, then why would I work hard to have less than what I have now? Right. Right? That's a good question. And 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 any nobody can answer that. Nobody can say, yeah. "Oh, well, you know, well I would." You know, it's like if like if I were getting a check, <laughs> right. like every single month that, that allowed me to live this life that I live right now, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, spoil my beautiful wife and do all this kind of stuff, like why would I work harder? Nobody would do that. People say work smarter, not harder, right? Yeah. That's what a lot of these people do. And it's not everyone, okay? It's not, and I know that, but yeah. it's some of them. And that's yeah. why, you know, for me, I'm like, well. So let me ask you this then. So um, this is kind of like, this could be construed as kind of a harsh question, but um, I, I think it's apt. Do you think, in light of your experience, like, is it worth it to, to invest all this energy into you know, this demographic of people, like, as a whole? Like, do you feel, like, I guess what I'm asking is, like, what is, because I kind of have, like, this super optimistic view in general. I love that. And, like, You're such an angel. <laughs> no, whatever. Dude, like, you totally, like, yeah, you know you are. <laughs> but, um, like, I, it, I come at it from more of, like, a being present in the moment situation, mm-hmm. and, like, I really think it's valuable to engage in a meaningful way with Mm -hmm. folks, even if I'm not necessarily actively trying to get them into housing and get them a job, Mm -hmm. just like asking how their day is and just kind of listening, listening to their story of like, you know, like I I mentioned on my last podcast, there's one guy who's been trying to get his ID together for a long time. Right. I remember that. um, And I like it. Like, I like this guy. You know what I mean? Like I look into his eyes they're so bloodshot. The poor guy's been living out in the street for like years. I shouldn't say poor guy, the, the gentleman, but yeah. it's like I like him, you know? And so I want to just kind of show him that common humanity or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, so, so how do you decide like what is a good use of resources mm-hmm. in terms of actually trying to make the most difference like in, in these people's lives? So, you know, Having having a conversation with anybody, I think, is a phenomenal thing. Like like I said, you know, I'm a talker, and I really enjoy having like an interaction with people. Like sometimes, if I'm at home by myself, I'll talk to myself, okay, <laughs> or I'll talk to my dogs, and like I'm not even like afraid of it. Like sometimes I even answer my own questions. Like it just is what it is because having an interaction is so I, clearly. I can't do that for long that I have to leave and like meet a human being, and I'm like talk to me, which is why I like living in like the city kind of. Yeah. Um. So having these interactions with people is extremely imperative, no matter where you are or what level in life you are. You know, like when I'm at the coffee shop, like that's how you and I met because mm-hmm. I like talking to people, you know. Um, so that that's something that I would never say, you know, to, to not do. But, but, but then you kind of have to say, okay, well, is this person going to be able to have a conversation with me? Because sometimes, you know, you walk in the gas station or you're getting gas and you see somebody kind of like, you know, walking their way, sifting their way towards you. And then you're like, you know, what's going on? So for me, I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? Like I, I make sure that I communicate with them. And sometimes they're mumbling and this and that. And then I kind of send them on their merry way. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as resources, what I've noticed, you know, where, when I was working um, with the company that I was with, there are very few resources. And that was probably one of the, one of the issues. 
Um, if there was just a community where you can just say, hey, anybody who's, who's homeless or not homeless or who's on drugs or not on drugs or whatever your case is, just go to this place and we'll just have conversations. Sometimes that doesn't exist. Sometimes it exists and you have to be a certain somebody to know about it. Because like this, this individual that you're talking about, he might not know the resources that are around him mm-hmm. as scarce as they might be because he's in one fixed place mm-hmm. all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's like, well, how do you do that? Well, the answer is you probably don't. You probably don't talk to them about that because how, how would I know that this person's there without me knowing you? You know what I mean? And then how would you know the resources if you're not in that area, you knowing him? Like, how would you know to talk to him about it, you know? And so with us, the way that people got, when I was working on the crisis unit, the way that people knew about our clinic and what we did is if they were referred by somebody or if they were in the hospital, which means they were on their last leg. So it's nothing preventative. Like what, what, I'm, what I think you're asking is like a preventative mm-hmm. thing. So like how can we make sure that maybe they don't get to that level or if they're at that level, then how can we make sure they don't dive deeper? Because you can always go deeper. I don't care where, because the deepest you can go, right, is dead. Yeah. Okay, but we hope that people don't do that. Yeah. And so like, you know, if you're, if you're found on the street because you OD'd, for example, and you're not dead, but you're just like totally out of it, then you'll be taken to a hospital. And then that hospital will say, well, this is actually a psychiatric matter because they tried to harm themselves. So I'll take you out of that hospital and send you to a psych unit. Mm -hmm. And then in that psych unit, one of us, a case manager or a specialist or somebody will then go and visit you and say, hey, do you want our resources? And sometimes, dude, they say no. Like I have had somebody look at me and say, no, actually, I just want to use heroin. And I say, okay, you have a good day. Yeah. And I'll see you later because they are so like I had my my boss and this is not something that bosses should say, but she referred to somebody as being organically fucked, which and there's no <laughs> there's no other way to say it, dude, but that because what that means is you have used so many drugs that you are actually no longer the same person that you were before your your brain matter is no longer the same. So your organic mechanisms have actually shifted. You are now someone else. And so like, that's why, you know, sometimes like we'll walk into a place and we'll have a meeting with, with this patient and their mom and their mom's like, I don't even know that guy. It's the saddest thing you'll ever see. You'll like, like their mom is like, I don't know you. And then like their kid won't even recognize the mom. Yeah. Because like now, of course, they're on medications and things like that. But you, any any configuration of this, I have seen. Yeah. And that's kind of where it's like, well, good question. What what do you do? I mean, like you can have these conversations with people, but sometimes, like you know, when I have a conversation with like someone who's homeless or whatever, like even even after I've stopped working with for this clinic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said I haven't helped somebody. I mean, like, I'll, I'll walk up, like, I'll, I'll drive up the street and I'll see somebody in the corner. I'll give them half of my food or I'll give them my, my drink or, like, I, like, I've bought, you know, cold water bottles and just given it. Because, like, that's just, that's human nature, right? Like, yeah. we just want to show our best and do our best that we can. Yeah. But I doubt that any of them are like, man, like, I really wish that I would, I, you know, I could maybe one day have a job where I can help somebody else. And, like, sometimes they do, but I still see that same guy on the corner for these past three years. Yeah. You know, and so, I don't know, man. I think, you know, Arizona, as, as far as my opinion goes, like, it doesn't have the best resources for those people. But even the resources that it does have, nobody, nobody's looking for them. You know, like, yeah. they, they should, but, but how do we get the word out there, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess that's, like, one thing that you can do. I'm just thinking, like, if you are um, just, like, a person living your life or whatever, and maybe you want to, like, up your game and maybe make 
do a little extra, you know, mm -hmm. for the homeless people around you, is educate yourself about what resources are in that specific neighborhood. Yeah. Because I do notice that folks, um, which also is human nature, is you want to have like your little routine or whatever. And yeah. Some folks they do. They they literally just kind of prowl like a four block, you know, uh, oh, for sure. radius or whatever. But yeah, like. Do you think that would be valuable is like somehow and then not necessarily like forcing it on people but if it comes up like organically in conversation to be able to be like you know there is like if you go a couple blocks that way there yeah is you'll this find thing something and, yeah yeah i think i think that that of course is um you know really beneficial you know just just so that you know what's around you because before i started working there i had no idea of any of the um, resources that were available and the majority of them are available in the central Phoenix area and that's where I lived I had yeah. no idea I was like what this is right here like oh that's that's right next to this coffee shop that I go to you know what I mean like yeah. you just don't even think about it so um, you know to be able to, to kind of have that um, to have that knowledge to pass it on is always good and, and you know just like anything else, if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like if you tell me, hey, um, come take this crocheting class with me, it'll be good for you. If I don't want to do it, dude, I'm not going to do it. You know right. what I mean? Just like anything else. Like, you can tell me how good it's going to be, how like, it's going to be like meditation, and it's going to calm me. And I was, like, if, if it's yeah. not for Mona, it's not going to be for Mona. Yeah. Just like if it's not for anybody else, it's not for anybody else. And sometimes you give people all the resources in the world, and they just don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. That's the other thing too is like um, another like quintessentially human sort of like mentality is kind of like a self-destructive kind of thing. Yeah. And we all I think have self-destructive tendencies and it's like so there's levels to that you know like if, if you are somewhat mentally stable and you're gainfully employed and you have decent relationships you have that self-destructive tendency and you might be able to channel it into something positive like maybe hitting a heavy bag or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you're addicted to meth and you have that self-destructive tendency, you're just gonna just kind of dive closer and closer to death, yeah. you know? And like, and then the, the drug kind of piles on and, and makes it that much harder to swim your way back up. So like, I guess my other question is like, how do you know the distinction between when you are actually helping to uplift someone and when you are simply just enabling them to continue? And like, obviously, you know, that, Let's take drugs out of the equation for this question. So let's just mm -hmm. like let's just only focus on like individuals who are not like just completely addicted to, to drugs. Right. And how do you know when you when you are like um, yeah uh, helping to, to move the kind of like move them forward mm -hmm. in and versus just like helping them plateau. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so um, I have a couple people in my life right now where that question applies very much so and the unfortunate thing I know we're supposed to not do drugs but the unfortunate thing is one of them is on drugs mm -hmm. um, but like you know for, for anybody who's not I mean we kind of run into this issue where like you have this like you know sort of like addiction to something you know and that's kind of where sure. you know where the problem is yeah so I would say you know just kind of looking into myself am I helping them get better or am I helping them stay at this plateau and kind of like stabilize where they are. And a lot of that is self-reflection. So am I allowing them to look into what they're doing and see they're wrong without me pointing it out? Or am I sugarcoating it so much that there's no room for them to even grow? You know, and that's kind of like where I have to say, okay, well, I know when this person does something, if I don't call them out right away, 
or if I don't, you know, kind of like make them feel, okay, well, this is probably something that I did wrong. And then instead I just sort of sweep it under the rug, under the rug then that's obviously enabling them, you know? So I think for me, it's, it's a difficult, for everybody, it's a difficult um, juggle, you know, especially yeah. because that person's probably someone you love. And so you want to make their life the best that you can because you love them. Yeah. Whether it's a brother or a sister or a wife or a husband or a friend, you know, it doesn't matter. Like you just want to be able to, to show them like this is the greatest part of life and anything that I find that makes me happy, I want to include people in. Mm -hmm. But if you maybe don't deserve that because you don't respect yourself enough and you don't respect me enough, you know, then, and that's kind of where I guess the whole, for me, it's just, it's, it's the drug thing, dude. Like I know we're not supposed to talk about it, but it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the thing. It's like, you know, I know somebody who's close to me who I love very much who has a problem with drugs and that's the biggest issue that we find is like, well, how am I supposed to get you to love yourself the way that I love you? And I think the problem is I love them more than they love themselves. Yep. And so when I love them more, I, I show love in these beautiful kinds of ways, the way that all of us do. And they're just like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take what you're giving me. Yeah. You know, and I guess, yeah, I guess you can apply that to anything, but yeah, you know. Yeah. And then the other also side of the coin is like, what, attitude do you have as the quote-unquote person who is offering the help like mm -hmm. one of the most destructive things I think about like um, quote-unquote religion or whatever is this idea of like uh, like kind of looking down on people mm -hmm. who you want to help so like creating this hierarchy of like well I'm inherently I'm the uplifted one, mm -hmm. and I have the relationship with whatever God or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to extend a helping hand out to you. And it's like, that is so destructive in my mind because in, embedded in that is an expectation that that dynamic and that hierarchy is going to remain the same, where they're going to stay in need of help, and you are going to continue to be the one that gives the help. So, like, there's, um, there's a gentleman, he's a Hawaiian man. His uh, name is um, Dr. Ihaleakala Hulen. So Dr. Hulen is the easier way oh, to. Nice. And um, he, he works with this, um, it's called Ho'oponopono. Have mm -hmm. you heard of it before? Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a super ancient like Hawaiian mediation technique, oh, basically. Cool. And uh, Ho'oponopono kind of, there's no direct translation really to English, but it kind of makes, it kind of means like to make perfect rightness or to make perfect oh, balance. Okay. Like Pono is kind of like right, rightness, righteousness. And uh, ho'o is like to make. So it's like to make right rightness. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty cool. And, uh, so he has written like a whole book about it and stuff, but it's he, he, his belief, and this is like based on his kind of understanding of ho'oponopono, is no matter what the situation is, no matter who you're working with, no matter who you're trying to help, you always have to bring it back to yourself. So you always have to work on yourself and, and literally think like, he, he worked in a mental health ward for the state and when he entered the, the ward, it was like really toxic and there was lots of physical altercations and stuff. And the statistics, once he entered the fray, they went way down. And all he did was he, did, he said that he would um, like contemplate the patients and look at their files and then think about what's inside of him that mm. is causing them to act this way and trying to remedy that imbalance within himself. Mm -hmm. And like, I just think that's so deep. It really is. And I think self-reflection is probably the hardest thing that any of us ever have to 
um, face. You know, self-reflection is really a beautiful thing if you do it right. You know, and so many people um, try so hard to fix others without fixing themselves. And so then you kind of run into this imbalance, right? So like, it's like, it, it's, it, it goes back to how can you love someone if you don't love yourself? Right. So like, yeah. well, how can you help fix someone if you're broken? Right. right. And so, um, you know, for us, like this person that I'm talking about um, is, is close to me and we, we, we were kind of discussing what their triggers are. OK, so what are your triggers? And so, you know, he told me what his triggers are. And I was like, OK, well, if I am also a trigger, you need to let me go. Okay, and you need to be real with yourself when you answer that question. Don't even talk, don't even say yes you are because that confrontation is difficult. If I, Mona, am a trigger for you, Mona's out. You know, and, and of course I love this person, so it's difficult for me to have this conversation, but sometimes we think that we're helping and we're not. Yeah. But sometimes because they see us helping, they're like, well, how do I say fuck off, dude? Because you're not helping me. You right. know what I mean? And yeah. so I had to have this conversation with them and say, hey, look, if I'm a problem, you need to let me go. And that requires a pretty high level of kind of like self-awareness to even kind of enter that possible reality to where despite your best efforts to help someone, you're actually part of the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's not something that I could answer. You know, like he has to answer that. He has to say, you know what? Yeah, actually, I think, uh, I think it's best if I just do this alone or I think it's best if, if I'm just left alone or whatever the case is. You know what I mean? Because... If, if I try to do everything in my power to help him and he's not ready, then I'm, I'm wasting energy and time and all this kind of stuff. And then he's just kind of getting the best of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not going towards anything, you know. And then what happens is I destruct myself somehow because, you know, look at, look at all the energy that's taken from, from trying to help somebody who's yeah. not really willing to or not ready yet, you know, and so. Yeah, and it also, like, negatively impacts their ability to kind of integrate that information later on. Like, if we use, like, the martial arts metaphor or whatever, it'd be mm -hmm. like trying to teach a white belt, like, some super complicated black black belt maneuver, mm -hmm. and you're just going to frustrate that white belt, and it's going to make it harder for that person to evolve to the point where they can actually achieve that because you're you're not doing it in like a sequential manner that makes any sense and, and that they're ready for. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Or even just saying, hey, white belt, I'm going to teach you something advanced and I want you to teach someone else. You know, it's <laughs> like, well, I barely even know it myself. So how am I going to teach you yeah. what I, you know what I mean? That's why whenever you and I train, I'm like, okay, I'm only going to teach you what I know. You know, we've had that conversation where yeah. I'm like, I just learned X, Y, and Z in class, so I can't teach it to you because I have no idea. And a lot of the stuff that you and I go through is some stuff that luckily for me, I also went over in Krav, you know? And so it's kind of just like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty good with this. You yeah. know, like, let's Americana all day, you know? Yeah. It's like, but, um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, it, it's, that's one of the most difficult things in life is that self-reflection for you to be like, you know, how can I make myself better to make you better, you yeah, know? For sure. All right, we're going to take a quick time out and then Let's we're going to come back and uh, I want to hear your story. Okay. All right, cool. We'll
everybody to Barbarian Noetics. I'm here with Mona Morsi and we're going to delve into the second part of this episode um, which involves so uh, you and I got to know each other at the coffee shop where I work and stuff and mm-hmm. so we just started chatting and everything and you have told me uh, through the course of our friendship bits and pieces of your story coming out as gay mm-hmm. and it is I've only heard bits and pieces of it and it is one of the most inspiring and like kind of mind-blowing and wild stories and experiences I've ever heard from anybody Thank you. and so um, I wanted to I wanted to just ask you to share your story because I think people could really benefit from hearing it for sure I'd love to um, so for starters you know I guess I should kind of go through the background of um, my parents, because they were the catalyst to all this nonsense <laughs> that I had to go through. Yeah. And, you know, pe- like, pe- people are going to kind of realize, like, you know, over the years, and, and it, it could be good and bad, but, but you know, I, I have kind of developed this, like, sense of humor when it comes to it. So it's okay to laugh at some of the things I'm going to tell you, because if we're not laughing about it, then we're probably crying about it. And Mona doesn't like tears because I'm yeah. the ugliest crier in the world. <laughs> it's like that gallows humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, let's just laugh or else it's going to get uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? So, um, I love how you like use like the aesthetics of it. You're yeah. like, I just, I'm aesthetically, I'm a bad crier, so we just gotta keep. Yeah, yeah, I just, we, we can't keep do it, it humorous. Yeah, like this, I've only been given one face, and we don't, we don't, we don't couldn't contort it any more than it already is. Okay. <laughs> um, so my mother was born and raised in a small farm in Los Mochis, Sinaloa, Mexico. She was raised fundamental Christian, like just super hardcore. Um, my dad, on the other hand, was born and raised in Cairo, Egypt, and he was raised Muslim. So, so they came together and all the gods blessed them with a lesbian little baby girl. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's where the story begins, folks, and it gets worse. Um, Was it a sort of like fundamentalist uh, Islam that your dad... You know what? I feel like... Can I say something so savage? Of course. I feel like Islam at its nature is fundamental. Mm. It's very fundamentalist. So mm. like you can't be a liberal Muslim, in my opinion, given what I've seen and, and how, you know, just because 
it just might not work. You know, it just at, at its foundation, it might not work. And I know it's a serious thing to say, but that's mm-hmm. just kind of given what I've what I've seen. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean that like all Muslims dislike gays and all this kind of stuff because I mean like you like I we have we have um, really close friends that are Muslim that were at our wedding and helped my wife make her dress I mean like all this beautiful stuff but the religion at its nature is sort of conservative in that way yeah um so yes to answer your question yes it was so you know growing up my parents divorced when I was like one and um I lived primarily with my mother and my brother I have an older brother. He's a year and four months older than me. So him and I had this, you know, we were kind of close growing up, but then there were a few things that drove us apart. And number one, that that main thing was the fact that my dad, um, you know, because women in my dad's perspective were not at an equal playing field than men, Mm. um, you know, as a female, I was already sort of at a disadvantage, you know. Mm. So my dad and my mom only had two kids, my brother was the firstborn, so to my dad, that was like the best thing that could happen. And then I was kind of like falling short because oh, I was wow. a chick. And so, Damn. yeah, and so, you know, like I, I felt that. And he never did anything to make me feel like we were at an equal playing field as a father and a mother should do to both of their kids. You should yeah. just always, because especially nowadays, like there's literally nothing, and we hope, I mean, that. I mean, besides biological, that a woman and a man can't do that are the same. You know right. what I mean? So, like, let's just let's just stop with this nonsense and let's just make it an equal playing field. For sure. My dad didn't do that. And so um, I always kind of felt this, like, inequality and this, like, unparalleled life. Um, and, you know, it's like an example of that is, like, my dad would pick us up to go on the weekend to do, you know, things that he wanted to do. So we'd always go to, like, bookstores and things like that, which was cool. And there were, there were times where I would ask my dad, like, hey, dad, can you buy me this book? And he would, to my face, say, no, I will not. Wow. And then, but he would buy, like, five or six things for my brother, comic books and magazines and things like this. Wow. Now, listen, like, fine. Okay, it is what it is. It's super shitty. But that was just kind of, like, an example of, like, the smaller things that he would say, you know, no to. And so, um, so anyway, you know, growing up, obviously there were these problems. And so I always kind of felt like I had to be at bay. Like I had to make sure that I didn't, you know, bring a lot of attention to myself and, and have any of these, uh, sort of like, I didn't like, you know, get in fights and have a whole lot of friends and things like that because when I was very, very young, because I just didn't want any more negative attention because already at my foundation, it was negative. You know, my mom, Obviously, like, you know, as a, as a woman herself, she did care for me in a certain way, but she was, because they had divorced, you know, she was dependent on my dad for certain things, like financially and things like that. And so I think in her mind, she was like, okay, well, if we're going to pay attention to this kid, we're going to pay attention to him. And it's, 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 a, it's a shitty reality, but it's the truth. And what was, like, the time, uh, like, how, what, did you spend, like, a certain amount of days, like, with your mom, and then you, you would spend, like, weekends with your dad? With how- weekends, yeah. Okay. So, like, and it was sometimes, like, every other weekend, you know, okay. but, like, and, and sometimes we were supposed to get picked up, and he just wouldn't show up. Like, you know, like, like a lot of people's stories, you know, you're just, like, kind of like that distant dad, you know, it's like, yeah. where's dad? Well, we don't know. He's yeah. busy working. I was like, this motherfucker's broke. What do you mean he's working? <laughs> you know, I was like, wait a minute, what? You know, so he kind of had, like, this nonsense. Um... But yeah, so whatever so, he's working at, he's not getting paid. Yeah, and he's not working on us. That's for damn sure, because you know Mona don't like him. Um, but but yeah, you know, so it was just this kind of like funky um, upbringing, and 
at a very, very young age, I knew that I was different. You know, you just, you, you know, like, you know, if you're into girls or you're into guys at a young age. Now, you don't know that it's bad or not, I guess. Um, but for me, you know, I remember I was, we, so we lived in a neighborhood uh, on, in the West Valley, and there was a girl across the street, and everybody, all the boys had a crush on her, mm-hmm. and I had a crush on her. Yeah. <laughs> and whenever they would talk about her, I was always like, yeah, dude, I totally agree. Like, you know, like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, yeah. like, I do like when she does that, or I do like when she wears that. Like, but, but I was smart enough, just like most of us are, to, to notice the pattern. Okay, so the boys are talking about a girl. The girls are talking about a boy. Mona doesn't fit in those conversations, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, as a girl, am going to talk about a girl. That's probably not okay because no one else is doing it. And you have this herd mentality where if you're the only one doing this, maybe you're wrong, mm-hmm. right? And that's the unfortunate thing because you're never really the only one. There's always a lot of people doing the mm-hmm. same exact thing, but they're all hiding it because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed, they're whatever. Well, especially when you're young and your like immediate family isn't necessarily supportive of, you know, alternative lifestyles or whatever you want to say it. Yeah. You don't know any better when you're uh, when you're growing up. You have no experience from which to draw upon. So, what else would you think other than like, oh, there just must be something whack with my thinking? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, like the the average family, I guess, you know, has like moms and dads and uncles and all this kind of stuff. And they're all probably heterosexual. Or you might have that Aunt Jane that has that roommate, (laughs) Jackie. And like, you know, you don't know what they do, but I guess, yeah, like we'll invite them over every (laughs) once in a while, you know, but it's like, they're so distant anyway, because they're already (laughs) at a disadvantage. Like, you know, you grow up and you're like, well, you just, I just didn't know. I thought you guys were roommates or best friends. And like, you were (laughs) celibate or something. It's like, no, like I get mine, but like from her, like, you know what I mean? And so you kind of have like this, like you know this distorted perspective of what same sex anything is you know and so um when I was in middle school I was in eighth grade and um there was this there were two new girls that came they were twin sisters they they were new to our school and they were in seventh grade and the school that I went to was only seventh and eighth and then you moved on to high school which is a different a completely different school Mm -hmm. And so, uh, maybe that's how every school is. I have no idea, dude. My middle school was 6th, 7th, and 8th. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. All right, sweet. Um, so, you know, like, I had this... So when, when they came to, to school, I remember thinking, like, damn, they're pretty. The both of them. Because, you know, I was like, well, shit. But, like, I didn't... Nobody knew that I was gay. Nobody. Yeah. Not even, like, my closest friends. Because even my closest friends I wasn't really close to because I would almost get mad when I was younger thinking about like how lonely I really was. Mm. You know, like I had a lot of people around me, but I was, I was the most loneliest person you'd ever meet in your life. Like I just, I felt like I had nobody. Mm. I mean, I could be in a, in a group of a hundred people and not feel any of their presence because you don't really know me and you don't really care to know me because of how different I really am. Wow. You don't want to know the real me. You're just here because you think I'm goofy or I'm funny or I tell a joke or I'll buy you this because I'm generous or whatever the case is. You know, you just want, you know, to be around me so that you can add me to your friend list. Right. You know, but like you don't really care about what's going on inside. Yeah. And so like, you know, I always I would sometimes just be like, dude, like I'm so frustrated and I wouldn't have anybody to talk to and um and then I met, so I, I, had a, I had a friend, her name was Erica. I could say names, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Her name was Erica, and she's still a friend of mine until this day, and um, she was a year younger than me. She was in the seventh uh, grade. 
when the when these twins came about. Mm -hmm. And so, twins. yeah, the twins came into Capital our lives. T. Yeah, so suddenly. <laughs> and now I'm not going to say their names, but... Um, so, you know, Erica and I were, like, we would meet up for lunch, like you would, like, when you're, like, you know, young and you kind of meet with your friend at a certain spot. And she was walking up to me with these twins. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, I was totally just, like, transfixed like, on them. what did Erica pull off Yeah, right I was now. like, Erica, what are you doing, dude? Like, did you read my mind, you know? And so I was like, you know, trying to be chill mode. I was like, yeah, what's up, dude? Like, you know, just totally like, what's up, you know? Like, not even caring. Yeah. And then, you know, they were like, oh, hi, I'm blah, 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 and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, great to meet you, you know? Yeah. And right away we hit it off, you know? Like, yeah. just... Just friends, like nothing crazy, because I had, as you can imagine, I had so many beautiful people in my life up until that point that I kind of had little crushes on, but you don't do anything about it because you don't want to be that weird lesbian that's like, hey, I like you, and then you're like, no, I like boys, and it's like, ah. Uh. Did you, so when you're in eighth grade, you know you're gay at oh. this point? 100%. 100. I knew I was gay well before that. I mean, yeah. I, like, I had, like, my, my friends growing up when I was in, like, second, third grade, I had crushes on them. I had crushes on two girls. They were, like, my best friends. And we never did anything, obviously. You know, but I, I had, like, major crushes on them, you know? And so, like, you just, I, I just knew from... Did you, like, know you were gay before you, like, knew that, like, gayness was a thing? That is, that is a very, very true statement. The answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> I didn't even know what a lesbian was. I was like, yeah. is that, like, a, like, a way of speech? Or, like, is that, like, a, like, a verb? Or something? Like, I don't even know what a lesbian is. Because, like, somebody called me a lesbian. <laughs> is it a verb? Yeah, I was like, what is this, dude? <laughs> like, like, I had no idea. I was like, is that a place, oh, like, God, in I'm Athens? Like, you you know, How would use that <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I, what is that? And so, oh. but yeah, like, I had no idea because it was not a thing to talk about. You just didn't talk about that stuff, you right. know? Um, not in my family, and at least. Wh wh where are you right now at this point? Where we're in eighth grade? Where are you eighth, living? Oh, um, on the West, so like. West Valley. Yeah, the okay. West Valley, so yeah. still in Greater Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, you know, so anyway, like. Fast forward a little bit, we all become comfortable with each other. You know, myself and Erica were obviously like really good friends at that point, and then she introduced the twins, and then we'll call them A and B, because <laughs> like what is whatever. And so she introduced A and B, and was like, "Hey, this is Mona." And then um, there was a couple like parties, you know, like you know, like just like friend parties that you go to. Mm -hmm. So Erica and I would show up, and then A and B would be there, and then. I just felt like there was something, there was something unique about one of them. Mm -hmm. We're going to call that one A, mm -hmm. okay? There was something unique about A that drove me to her. I felt like there was a connection that we had. And, I, and so the reason that they were new to the school is because they came from, they were, they were in foster homes. Mm -hmm. So like all over, you know what I mean? Like they were kind of from here to there. And, and so they were, they finally got into this one foster home that was more of like a, and I don't know how that the foster system works that well, but they were going to be there for a longer period of time than just, a, you know, like a couple months. And mm -hmm. so um, there was like, I kind of felt like when she told me this, I was like, oh, so we both sort of don't have a real place, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I, now I wasn't in a foster home, but I didn't feel like I had a, a, a solid ground to stand on. You know, mm -hmm. I was, I was always trying to look for where I belonged and look for someone who was like me and look for someone that I can talk to and be transparent with. And I never found that person. Mm. And then I met A, I met her and she kind of had this like unique way of making me feel whole. It was the weirdest thing. And at such a young age, I mean, I think I was like 14, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just was like, 
I felt so weird, like and good. It was a good, it was a good feeling, but I felt like there's somebody who kind of understands me and not at a superficial level, because I can sit here and tell you about me on a superficial level all day. And it'll probably mimic exactly how you are because for the most part, all humans are the same, right? Mm -hmm. But when you really get deeper into it and you really find like your foundation, it's hard to, to match that up. And that's what creates a friendship for life, right? Or mm -hmm. like a really strong bond or a marriage or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, fast forward, we were hanging out and there was something that Erica was going to do one night and I was going to have a sleepover. And I was like, hey, Erica, come over and you can bring A and B, you know, like we'll just whatever. Mm -hmm. And Erica couldn't. And so it was just myself and the twins. Oh, okay. Okay. And I was like, okay. You're like, I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I'm cool with that. And then it was funny because my mom at that time in her life, she, she had like her little group of support system, her little group of friends. And so they would kind of go out and have dinner and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was perfect. My brother and I would always be home by ourselves. Mm. Not, not always. I, mean, I don't mean like she would like ditch us, but like it was usually him and I when she would go out. Mm -hmm. But this night, my brother had plans with one of his friends too. So it was just myself and the twins. And oh, I was wow. like, wow, there is a God. This is phenomenal. <laughs> 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 I was like, is this what you'd be praying to, man? Like, this is phenomenal. So, um... And, you know, I, in my mind, I didn't even have anything, like, sexual in my mind. I think I was just, like, I just, wanted, I, I just wanted to be alone with, with A. Because sure. B was cool, but B was, like, into her own thing. Like, you know, she, she always talked about her boyfriend and always talked about this and that. Mm -hmm. But A never talked about those things. So I didn't know where she stood in life or what, like, what her thing was. And so I was, like, I just want to, like, talk to her because I feel... I just kind of feel like, you know, solid when I'm, when, when she's around. Would you say it was like this magnetism sort of like, you yeah, felt like, like, it really was. Yeah. And you felt comfortable too. Like it was just like this, like instant, like comfort kind of like vibe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, I was like, wow, like I can, you know, talk to her. So, um, we were all hanging out in my room and listening to music. I, I don't even know what we were listening to NSYNC or something. I don't even know like what time it was or like what we were doing, but I, I like NSYNC to this day. So I could listen to that all the time and Spice Girls. Um, but dude, Spice Girls were rad. And they still are. Dude, like I'll yeah. bump to them, like on my way to ESO, like I'll just listen to like, you know, spice up your life like, like, all day. I'm just like, yeah. hell yeah, spice up who your is, life. Who is your Spice Girl? Who is your fave? Um, I had a crush on, on Baby Spice, believe it or not. Baby? Yeah. Baby was my, yeah, that was my jam. Baby too. She was my girl. I liked, uh, Posh Spice. Posh is cute. Yeah. Posh has stayed posh though. Like she's just, <laughs> she's actually still Posh Spice. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, so it's like, okay. She like, hasn't changed. With no, the, not at all. The, yeah. The now she just has little Poshes all the way around. <laughs> um, so you're listening to NSYNC and yeah, Spice so Girls listening and you're with and, uh, A and B. Yeah, we're with A and B. And is B feeling like a third will? No, dude, B, B's totally like, hey, I'm just happy to be here. All like, right, B cool. was chill. So then B gets a phone call. She gets, she has on her, on her cell phone, she gets a phone call and, and it's her boyfriend. So she goes, I'm going to step out for a second. I was like, okay, bye. So she steps <laughs> out and we had this little loft area um, upstairs in my, in my mom's house. And there was a couch there. So she was there, you know, like spreading her feet, having this conversation. And I know she's going to have this conversation for a long time because, like, you know, she's a chick and she's talking to her boyfriend, you know. And so I remember looking um, at A and I was like, you know, is that, is that her boyfriend, you think? And she was like, I don't know, I, I guess. <laughs> and then I remember, like, just looking at her and thinking, like, damn, like, 
Like, yes, she is beautiful, but I just feel like a certain kind of way. Like, I just had never felt this way. Even, even though I've had crushes, like, this was different, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she caught me staring at her like a creeper, you know? And she was like, <laughs> what? And I was like, oh, sorry, I, nothing. I don't even, you know? Because, like, you get caught up. Like, you're just looking and you're like, yeah. you know, just all, like, it just, mean, like, at transfixed. That, at that time, too, in life, it's like this is like some of the first times you're feeling these oh, things. Yeah. So it's like very overpowering. Well, yeah, because you don't know what it is. You don't know like what to call it. And then you don't know how to hide it yet. Because yep. like sometimes like you might do like a little peek like around the corner, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you're like, okay, yeah, that, that, they're exactly what I thought they were, you know, and then you just kind of keep it pushing. Yeah. But um, at that time it was really, really strong. And so I remember I looked at her and I was like, oh, um, sorry, not, nothing. I I don't like you know. I was kind of like I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah. And then she kissed me. Oh wow! That second, Damn. and I was like, okay. And so you know, we were like, we were in this moment together. Like there was something about me looking at her, and then her taking that in, and I think she just knew, like, maybe she likes me too, you know. And then at that time, I was like wow, this is amazing. Because now it's not only like I'm comfortable with you, I can talk to you, I feel like you understand me, but now we can take all of these feelings of me being abnormal to the next level, you know, because I don't fit in with anybody else. You are my rock, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that's good and bad. Like it was good because, you know, I felt like comfortable enough and I had like, you know, my first, you know, whatever, kiss and all this stuff yeah but it's also bad because she was the only person i felt this way with mm, but puts a lot of pressure on that relationship yeah and it, and it also it's also unhealthy for me because that means she was like my everything and so when you make something or someone your everything and then you lose that person you kind of dive into this weird place you yeah. know And so because we both knew that this was not something that we can just parade around and talk about, we knew that we kind of had like to keep it under wraps. Now, her sister didn't even really know what was going on. Wow. And so the way that we would keep it under wraps and communicate with each other was via notebooks. Okay? All right. So we had like hundreds of notebooks. Wow. pages after pages after pages expressing ourselves to each other just like hey babe and then boom what was your night like what, what were you doing in class just talking about everything and then she would give me this notebook during our first period I would read it and then I would write her back and then I would give it to her so what yeah. does that mean in school in class I'm not paying attention I'm writing I'm putting my soul on paper. My 13 years of life that I have never been able to express to anybody are going on these pages because you know what? I'm feeling kind of fed up. I'm feeling like I don't belong. I'm feeling like I'm lost. And this is the only person that can write me back because I can write in a journal all day, but I'm the only one putting entries in. I need somebody to write me back and to make me feel like I belong someplace. Meanwhile, you got like your history teacher droning on about the Cold War. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Going to take your attention away. You know what I mean? Exactly. And like it didn't matter what class it was. It could be computers. It could be math. I didn't do well in any subject. I didn't do well in anything but this relationship because I was like, I'm going to make her... Like, I'm going to make her love me the way that I love her and feel for me the way that I feel for her because she's all I've got. And like, and that put a lot of pressure on her too, because, you know, she came from, you know, like a different world than I did. You know, she had a lot of support and like her sister didn't care if she was this or that. And she had friends that were gay and like all this kind of stuff at Mm -hmm. that time in life where, you know, she was like, 
well, like, what's the big deal? Now, at this school, I see what the big deal is. What about, like, in the rest of the world? And I was like, no, like, we don't talk about that. And so for her, she had the support that she was giving me. I didn't, she didn't need that from me, you know? And so, like, as an adult now, I realized she was doing so much more for me than I was doing for her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we can sleep together and stuff like that, but, like, that can only do so much for a relationship. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so, so anyway, um, we... It, this this was at the beginning of of the school year, you know, and so we were together all this all this time, and you know we wrote we would go through like an entire notebook in maybe like like two days. Damn. Oh, because because like it was like she used to write like first of all her letters were like this big, like yeah. just huge, you know. So <laughs> she would just like take up pages, but then she would like draw little pictures and like you know hearts and like all this stuff you know and so she would just like draw me things and like take up like seven pages and i'm like great i have entertainment for an entire hour or an entire period you know man it's kind of sad that like i feel like because i i used to have like it was with me it was more like just friendships but i had like friends that i would just like we would write notes to each other all class and then we'd see each other in between periods and exchange notes and stuff Mm -hmm. and and like i just I wonder if, like, that is lost nowadays because of, like, smartphones and emojis and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's kind of sad because, <clears throat> like, I think there's something really beautiful and meaningful about using Writing, your own yeah. hand and actually handwriting stuff out and how expressive that is, you know? Yeah, I, um, I actually, people kind of make fun of me, but I still write letters. Like, I still, and I think just because it was, like, I'm so old school. Like, I have, like, custom stationery and, like, my wax seal. Oh, yeah, like, I, like, I do that whole thing because, but I think, I think it was so much a part of my childhood on an emotional scale that I haven't moved from that, you know, and, like, call that good or bad, I have no idea, but, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, that's, um. Oh, and I wanted to ask you, too, so. Why was it that she kind of was so much, it sounds like she like somehow grew up in a more liberal environment or somehow or like because it sounds like it's not you felt completely isolated to where besides her you didn't really feel like you could talk to anyone but she had friends that were gay and and knew they were gay and stuff. Oh yeah like so and the reason and to answer your question I think so she grew up mostly in group homes and foster um, care and so um I think that there was a lot more freedom because she was she was with like girls in her age group and they just talked about everything. So she didn't have to report to adults that were called mom and dad. She reported to like a group home manager who's in their job title it was to not judge these kids.
All right, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast with Mona Morsi. That was part one. There, uh, we're going to continue the story right where we left off in part two in the next episode. So look forward to that. Um, and thanks again for listening. I really appreciate every one of you. Uh, thanks again to Mona for being on the pod and for sharing her story. And um, that is about it. I'm on Instagram now. So at uh, Conan Tanner, all one word, C-O-N-A-N-T-A-N-N-E-R. On Instagram there, it's like the podcast Instagram page. I have no idea what I'm doing, honestly, but everyone says that you're supposed to have an Instagram, so I got one now. Um, If you want to be a patron, uh, you can go ahead and pop over to Patreon at www.patreon.com slash noetics. So until next time, everybody, uh, much love. May May your wings... Be silver and your eyes be clear. May your legs be nimble and your friendships dear. Peace and love, everybody. So like if a kid said...